Welcome to the Rick Essential Podcast, the unofficial analysis of the hit TV show Rick and Morty. This is Brandon Saxton. And Katie Gordon. How are you doing, Katie? I'm good. How are you? I'm doing good, and I'm excited today to continue our, our what's the right word, wonky, uh, interesting, bizarre journey <laughs> through, through the uh, hit series Rick and Morty. Today we're covering episodes six and seven. Uh, let's go ahead and just jump right into the thing. Uh, episode six. I'll do my classic recap. That's good. Episode six, called Rick Potion Nine or Number Nine, rather. Uh, hashtag Nine, I guess it might be the <laughs> appropriate uh, parlance for today. But uh, so this kind of starts off with Morty. He wants to go to the dance with Jessica, who's this person who he's expressed interest in, uh, kind of throughout the series, and he wants Rick to make a love potion for him. Um, and and Rick sort of advises him against this, but ultimately does do it. And I think Morty maybe even manipulates him just a little bit, like kind of playing like, oh, so you you can't do it or something, mm-hmm. if I'm remembering right. Um, and Rick gives him the potion, sends him on, and says, I don't, but don't give it to her if she's got the flu, but she's already gone. It is the flu dance that they're going to, which is a weird dance, yeah. <laughs> to be sure. Um, and so she takes it, and of course it interacts strangely with the flu, and this ends up uh, really spreading and going kind of, very strange where the whole population start of the whole planet i think ends up falling in love with morty uh, except for his own kind of blood relatives and so rick is trying to fix up an antidote he fails a few times he turns all the humans into uh ultimately into monsters that he calls cronenbergs uh which is kind of a a play on well not really a play on words more like a direct reference to david cronenberg mm-hmm. um in kind of some of his films and uh it's it's a very bizarre episode in a very bizarre show. Yes. Um, so what what did you think about this episode, Katie? So there were some parts that I think are, I've seen in other themes like, uh, or in other shows, like um, the idea that you can make someone fall in love with you. I think that that's because most of us can relate to the idea that you are attracted to someone or you have feelings for someone and they it's not reciprocal, mm-hmm. it's unrequited, right? That's a big theme in music and movies and TV shows. Forever. And stuff. Yeah, it really is. And certainly I've experienced that multiple times, full disclosure. Myself as well. Yeah, I think we all have. And so, like, it's relatable how Morty's feeling and maybe especially when you're in high school or oh, something yeah. like that where, you know, so he, so, like, that's, that's relatable and he but what then and and also i guess you can kind of understand the temptation to be like if i can make this person you know have feelings for me through a spell or something this happens um xander does this and and buffy the vampire slayer and it, it also backfires like yeah. it does here and i think that so that part i kind of relate and i like the idea of it but you can just see how it doesn't work but it got me thinking a lot about i guess there's been a more general conversation recently in the news cycle and other areas about relationships healthy romantic relationships healthy sexual relationships how people learn about them a lot of time media affects those things so it's kind of worth talking about that and, you know, Morty has some ideas about relationships that are unhealthy, which isn't that surprising. Rick's mm-hmm. not a real great role model. No. And so I was just thinking maybe we could talk a little bit about that aspect 
because I don't think that's something, it, it varies a lot, let's say that, in terms of people learning about sex and romance. And some people learn somewhat in school. I don't remember learning anything about romantic relationships. Maybe a little in health? I'm thinking back right now to my own experiences, and I don't think I did. I, I... I don't recall learning a lot about it. I feel like they're more, it's like that scene in, in Mean Girls, I think, where he's like, basically like, don't get STDs yeah. and like that. And then they show you some gross pictures. I'm pretty and sure that was my experience. Yeah. And I'm remembering back to kind of whatever it would have been middle school or, mm-hmm. or probably not elementary school, I wouldn't think, but kind of the health class kind of talk. Yeah. Yeah. And like, that's. That's of concern. That's obviously a broader issue than than in Rick and Morty. But the idea that you're entitled to have someone return their feelings for you and that you should do that, um, you know, and what does it mean? Like, in this case, like, her feelings for him are not genuine. She didn't consent to taking this love potion and things like that. And so I think that... I, it just generally got me thinking more, especially maybe in high school, because I think one of the issues is if you don't have, and I should say a lot of people's families have these discussions, not all of them. There's a lot of variability, oh, like they'll talk, you know, to their parents or their siblings or whatever to understand healthy relationships, or hopefully they're being modeled for them somewhere in their life. But uh, it can be tough if someone hasn't had exposure to that, and then they're trying to navigate these things. Mm-hmm. And, and And I personally think it would be useful to add more in terms of wellness and mental health relationships are such a key part of that romantic mm-hmm. and otherwise that I would like if people talked more about how to effectively communicate, you know, things that yeah. we teach in therapy when people come in oh, for that kind of stuff um, in terms of being taking perspectives in terms of what the other person wants in terms mm-hmm. of understanding that if you, someone doesn't have the same feelings for you, that can be painful and mm-hmm. that's, that's upsetting, but that doesn't mean that they've done something wrong or that they owe you anything. Mm -hmm. And so I, I don't know, I guess I was just thinking of that broader discussion. This isn't my area of expertise or anything like that. I was, I did take a workshop when I was in graduate school that was designed around an evidence-based treatment for, um, premarital therapy. And there are some evidence that it helped uh, reduce marital dissatisfaction and stuff like that. And then the keys were really communicating more about values and, and learning, Basically, how to to listen to each other and express things in ways that were non-blaming. So then I sent out a tweet while I was thinking about all this stuff, asking people to give examples of healthy relationships and fictional and ones. fictional. Yeah, I yep. should say fictional. I didn't get that personal. <laughs> <laughs> Send me pictures of people that seem like they're in healthy relationships. Specifically your parents. Yeah. <laughs> It'll be great. I guess people could do that, but since I like to stay safely in the fictional world, yes. um, Pam and Jim, I thought, was one of the more realistic ones, even though The Office is kind of, like, comedic. Oh, yeah. Yeah, they they have pretty good communication, although they do keep things from each other, and that's kind of a source of conflict. And, and they actually uh, depict that quite mm-hmm. well, that when they do keep those things from each other, that actually it gets into, like, the later parts of the series where they actually go through almost a rough time, and they go to some uh, marital counseling uh, during that time and yeah so it, it is interesting i think yeah i think that's a nice example i mean i think and the other thing that they depict is like when pam is still with roy even though she has feelings for jim but she's not ready to do anything about that jim 
like he's very hurt, but he backs off and then he takes care of himself. He moves to another yep. location. He gets into a different relationship. Yep. And so it's also kind of a model of like what to do when the person you care about doesn't return those feelings. And mm-hmm. so um, he, so, and also I think it also, you know, it shows the balance of their, their friendship and their connections mm-hmm. and how, when it crosses lines and stuff mm-hmm. like that. So that was one example. And then um, I don't know if you have any others that stick out in your mind. Uh, I one that you had, I think someone tweeted at you was uh, Leslie and Ben from yes. Parks and Rec, which, yeah. uh, as you might anticipate, is a similar story to Pam and Jim because I think they're made by the same people. The shows were mm-hmm. so that that's another good uh, depiction of a relationship. I think that one that I enjoy. Yeah, a lot of people agreed with that. They said they they get each other, they like each other, they're good for each other, they're super hot for each other, and we should all be so lucky, is what the person said. Someone else mentioned um, This Is Us, which I haven't seen, but nope, they said neither. there are a lot of good depictions of relationships. Someone else mentioned Lois Lane and Clark Kent. And, of course, their relationship varies. But, I mean, one thing that's really clear in Batman versus Superman is just their devotion and love for each mm-hmm. other. I mean, that's that's pretty much that's a major motivation of Superman throughout the film but he yep. also really i mean they have a lot of mutual respect for each other in terms mm-hmm. of their profession and uh, and all of that other kind of stuff and a lot of positive regard for each other mm-hmm. and that's that's nice to see it seems like they're trying to make things better for each other you know and then someone else tweeted about um chandler and um why am i blanking on her name monica for friends yeah thank you <laughs> um from friends and um Again, another sitcom couple, but I thought that was a good example. Because sometimes I'll see these pieces that are like negative examples of couples and, yeah. and film and stuff like that. And it seems like we see a lot of those. I mean, we just recorded an episode on Jessica Jones. There are certainly some examples yeah. of problematic relationships there. I've just thought of another one that mm-hmm. is... I, I don't remember either of their names, so that's not very helpful. But it's the main couple from Santa Clarita Diet. Oh, yeah. They obviously yeah. are very fond of one yes. another and have a very fun relationship, I think, despite dealing with some very supernatural yeah. and extraordinary <laughs> consequences. Weird, yeah. Sometimes grotesque <laughs> situations. Oh, yeah. But, uh, yeah. I mean, Timothy Oliphant's character in that is, I mean, he's very funny. And even though he seems like at any time he could just fall apart mm-hmm. uh, given the stressors uh he's very dedicated as is she to him um they kind of explore that where for a while they kind of do things separately because of some of the killing involved but they don't like to be apart that yeah can interfere it's that's a, that's a weird show but i liked it a lot no it that's 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 a great example i think arrested development also has some couples that don't have some very healthy things going on um, of course, that's comedic. It's more yeah. serious. I, I guess one of the things that I think about in terms of expectations, at least maybe when I was younger, is that it seems like a lot of um, movies, the basic gist is like it's all about like the courtship and then when they get together and it kind of ends there. I think mm-hmm. there's been more variety of stories told of different types mm-hmm. of couples and um, you know, that kind of thing. Something that I think is less helpful that's, I think, a pretty commonly depicted theme in media is the nerdy kind of guy who yeah. continually persists until the a very kind of attractive or popular uh, girl finally gives in and, and then they're together. I don't know if that, that narrative that I think of a lot which I like to call the Big Bang Theory. Narrative. Yeah, yeah. I don't know if that one's as helpful. But. No, that's a good point. 
for a number of reasons I think that people have pointed out it's just and again it's like not it's not even just that show like that's a repeated thing that you see which is the idea that someone is out of your league based on looks I'm not denying the fact that people tend to pair up with Mm -hmm. people who are considered by society as typically within the same attractiveness range so that's not always true but just the idea that like they're a a trophy or something to Mm -hmm. be won and that if you show like you're really nice that maybe even this person who is out of their league will like this nerdy person yeah. and stuff like that. Yeah, it's weird how that happens. I don't know if it's part of like I guess the underdog yeah. appeal of things, but it's weird when it when it's connected to relationships. Yeah, for you sure. Know? Where you like to think about this idea that people who have who enjoy each other's company have similar values or whatever it is that makes it work would be okay without adding in these extra things. Mm-hmm. And we're definitely compelled by those types of stories, but people also like these on again, off again. Like before Pam and Jim, it was Ross and Rachel and friends, and I'm sure it goes back a long time. That I think is more relatable where people are kind of trying to make it work with someone. It doesn't work out and you try again, or people are friends and they're not sure they should take it to the next level. But it does seem less likely, like you've seen people have been together for a while and they're, maybe that's not as interesting to people to watch or whatever, but... In those cases, having more open conversations about realistic expectations of mm-hmm. marriage and or whatever romantic relationships in general yeah. doesn't have to be marriage can be important. So anyway, I know that's a big kind of um, off track thing from Love Potion number nine, but to me it was it is just emphasizes again how important it is that we have healthy examples and whether we like it or not like a lot of people are learning or getting ideas from media mm-hmm. so i don't think they're getting their romance lessons from rick and morty no. to be fair oh no it's just that you see those themes and other things yeah too. absolutely so anyway that was mostly speculation not our usual let me cite all my research for you stuff nope. but those are just thoughts and those ideas are just thoughts in my that, brain. Are, that are happening um so, anything else about that episode? Oh, okay. I've got one more thing. I, I okay. So, Rick says something that I thought was interesting. Mm-hmm. He says, sometimes science is more art than science. And I like that. Yeah. Um, and the reason I like that is I think that sometimes people think of art, or I'm going to use the term creativity, rather. Mm-hmm. Creativity and science as opposite ends of one spectrum. And that's not necessarily the case. Um, conducting good quality science involves a lot of creativity and and in fact that's one of my favorite parts about uh the the enterprise of science is i love when i read or find a study where i'm like man that is so clever how do they kind of mm-hmm. got around because mm-hmm. a lot of times especially in psychological science we're answering pretty hard questions that sometimes you have to be very clever in the way that you're getting around or trying to develop methods to answer that question so i kind of like that because of yeah. course that wasn't exactly Rick's point, he was sort of like adding a little bit of grasshopper right. and DNA <laughs> and a, a little bit of this and that. His, like, his like, non-planned, impulsive yes. way of going things. But no, I, I agree. I, um, we can link to this, but there's actually a Black Coat, Black Coat, Black Goat podcast yes. episode talking a little yeah. bit about this that I like. And and um, one of the co-hosts, 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 <laughs> I'm sorry, we just recorded another it's podcast true. episode and then we talked for a while, so I'm, my my uh, talking is, is a little, I don't know, needs a little bit of a rest, but I'll try to pull it together. But anyway, he has a blog called The Hardest Science, which I really like because it's like usually psychology is thought of as a soft science, but his point is that it's really hard to measure the things that we want to measure mm-hmm. 
in humans and because there's so much variability. And yeah. so I, I like that part too. I agree with you. I think that's, it's science requires a lot of creativity mm-hmm. to get around some of the inherent limitations mm-hmm. yeah, absolutely. of it, but just still keep it scientific. Um, one thing that I also, I don't know, I guess I am really stuck on this idea of thinking about romantic relationships sure. and if you don't mind me returning Please. to that. I guess the other thing I was thinking about is have you ever in therapy had people that presented and they're concerned because they aren't dating and they want to be dating or, you know, they're struggling with that and or... That's actually not never been a primary okay. concern of it, someone who I've worked with in, in therapy, no. Okay. If Morty was your client and he showed up and was like, you know, I really like Jessica or whatever, and I don't, you know, what should I do about Mm -hmm. it? What advice might you give him? My approach is always a very sort of concrete problem-solving style approach. So, you know, if this was someone who maybe uh, Morty was a little bit anxious to talk to Jessica, and, and the main thing that I always work on is, what is it that you want to do? And what are the things that are getting in the way of you doing it? And what can we do to get over those obstacles then? So, for example, if the person was just a little bit anxious, maybe we need to engage in some role playing or some exposure to get that person to overcome that anxiety so they can approach this person that they're interested in to ask them for coffee or whatever that might be. Um, If it was a situation where it was already clear that this person wasn't interested in them, then that might be a different discussion and and a different sort of thing where it's really more of an acceptance that we can't control the people's feelings. We can really only control ourselves and our own behaviors. And if that person's not interested, well, then maybe you can just enjoy the friendship. uh, And and there might be other people who might be a perfectly, uh, you know, or just as good of a fit for you to pursue romantically. So that's the first thing that sort of comes to mind for me. Yeah, I, I think I think that's a great point. And I think the only, you know, the only other thing I might think to do is if part of it, like you said, it depends on what's driving exactly. it. So if they're having um, a confidence problem that's right. interfering or anxiety, or let's say they find out the person doesn't, doesn't feel the same way about them, it's not mutual feelings, and then they feel they're unlovable or right. they'll never, they'll be alone forever, then I might use cognitive behavioral yeah. therapy or that they need to be with that person to be happy. And so you're yeah. right, it kind of depends on the person. And I do think it's important to recognize that a variety of people, some maybe with social anxiety or other things, have a hard time. I mean, a lot of people have a hard time with dating and, mm-hmm. and other types of things, and that can make them feel pretty lonely and bad about themselves. And so I think that therapy can be a helpful way to approach mm-hmm. some of these subjects. Absolutely. I think, so I think, correct me if I'm wrong, and I don't want to dig too deeply into cognitive behavior theory, but when we're talking about underlying core beliefs that really can be negatively impacting, I'm unlovable is one of the most common ones. Yeah. So that's exactly something that someone might experience. And I wonder if that couples in a little bit or pairs up with, I think there's a societal kind of expectation that you are lesser in some ways yeah. if you're if you're not in a romantic relationship with someone. Um, so I wonder if those things kind of feed into each other that in a really negative kind of way where that sort of challenging of those thoughts is important. Yeah, I think you're right. Like there's something wrong with you mm-hmm. if you're not with someone or that people think that or and this like part of this is depicted in culture, maybe in yeah. songs and movies and stuff like that, too. If you just do this thing, then people will like you. And if they don't, then there's something wrong with yeah. those people. And so I think 
I think it's hard for people to navigate this stuff mm-hmm. for some people. I mean, a lot of people do this and it's obviously fine, but when we're talking about people who tend to um, be dealing with difficulties in this area, you can kind of see why it's hard to navigate. Mm-hmm. I mean, and there's no shortage of self-help books on dating. Mm-hmm. And a lot of them have some, what I would consider not great advice. I don't, this is a, a whole different topic yeah. to unpack, but I worry too about people who fall into uh, some of the, you know, really kind of sketchy pickup yeah. artist kind of stuff, maybe who are struggling with insecurities. And I think there's some in my opinion, some negative communities that yeah. prey on people yeah. who are struggling with those insecurities to sell them a product yeah. or a service. Yeah, yeah, that, you know, guys like it when you do this or, you know, women like it when you do this. Mm-hmm. And then a lot of the things they're recommending, I'm like, yeah, I guess someone likes that. But, like, sometimes right. it's like they like when you, whatever, I don't know, lie or you're, like, the bad boy. That's definitely mm-hmm. been, like, a fictional oh, thing yeah. where there's the guy who's, like, you know. Again, so it's it's a lot of it's overgeneralizations, and I think, you like like you said, it can prey upon people who are vulnerable because there are people who really want an answer, and then it gets oversimplified sometimes and, and turned into a self-help form. Like, you just take these three easy steps, and then it's going to be this way. And then when that doesn't happen, you know, who's to blame? Right. Is it the book, or is it the other person for exactly. not returning it? So, anyway... This is an, an interesting topic that I feel like I'm going to continue to puzzle over. And I think that, you know, the dynamics in society, as they change, too, it also is interesting, right? People tend to, or there are less people getting married or they get married later. And so I think as those things change, along with many other things, it, you also think about how are what we know about healthy relationships. So I'm glad there are people doing research mm-hmm. on this. I don't do a ton of romantic relationships, but I'm happy that there are people doing the research and can help with some of this stuff. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. All right. What's left for this episode? I don't think there's anything other than flu shots are good. <laughs> at the end, <laughs> flu shots are good. Uh, at the end, Morty does have to bury his own dead body, and that's not good. Yeah, no, that's not. And, like, I'll be honest with you, I don't think there's a therapy powerful enough to overcome that no, we're just not there yet, no, and probably never will no, be. No, and because... I hope there's not a big need for no. it. And, and I don't have a lot more to say about it other than, like, this is the first time that the show goes super dark. Yeah. Um, and and Morty just looks shocked uh, for quite a while after that. Yeah, that's pretty bad. And then on top of it, like, his parents, which, again, their relationship, like, seems better in the universe where he's dead. Yes. I don't know. It's real weird. That's... It's like he's a he's a nice kid. He is nice, you know. Is a, yeah. So that's not great. And then back in their like alternative reality, which is the one that's mostly focused on now, um, his parents are not having a good relationship. No. And that's we talked about this earlier. Some of it does seem to be some resentment. It seems like Summer was an unplanned pregnancy, mm-hmm. and then feeling like a loss of independence. Yeah. And like Jerry also seems to not like that Rick gets so much priority, yeah. and so. There's a lot to unpack. There there. really is. Yeah, I think those are the main things about that episode. Um, Although I think I have less to say about the next one, but shall we transition to the next one? Let's do it. So episode seven, Raising Gazorpazorp. Basically (laughs) through very uh, science fiction-y based storytelling, Morty ends up with a son who is a human uh, Gazorpazorpian hybrid uh, who he 
He and- <laughs> I will say this. Like, even when I'm trying to talk about anything remotely serious, we have to say a bunch of weird words. It's sure. And true. that's always fun. It's very true. <laughs> uh, who he names Morty Jr. And uh, Rick and Summer end up on a side adventure back in Morty Jr.'s home planet while Morty learns about parenting because his son, Morty Jr., ages very quickly in, like, a matter of, like, 24 hours, reaches full adulthood. Um, and it's weird. Uh, it's a real weird episode. I'll just put it that way. Uh, I mean, <laughs> Another pa- weird Rick and Morty Take-home points, really. <laughs> Parenting is hard, I assume. I'm not a parent. Uh, but it seems hard, at least based on this episode. <laughs> and, uh, Which is the only it's in- my, information it's, you have access it's, to. It's, yeah, that's my only sort of uh, baseline. I, so, so you actually are trying to learn these lessons from Rick and Morty. Yeah, I really, I was, try- I was taking notes. Um, I took a developmental psychology class uh, last year with Dr. Wendy Gordon, who uh, folks might remember from the Jedi Council podcast. She came on to talk about her. My lookalike, even though we're not related. Yes, and, and similar last name alike. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, talk about her expertise in bullying, and she taught the developmental class, which is a, it was a great class. Um, and really, every week we were assigned to read three or four or journal articles and then come with discussion questions. And what I noticed really is is we know a lot about developmental psychology and the things that can happen that change the development of young humans. And what made me afraid in some ways was there are a lot of things that I learned that are that can subtly kind of alter development. But for the most part, if you follow the same kind of general rules, kids are going to turn out okay. Mm-hmm. But what made me afraid a little is parenting is is not something that people really know how to do a lot of the time. And just seeing like how much of this data could be uh, abused in a way to prey upon anxious parents with self-help books and services that they really don't need, but they're sold this bill of goods that if you don't do this right, your child may not develop correctly. And gosh, that really upsets me. It, It really did. And that was... I probably brought this point up too often in the class, really. I was kind of, you know, ringing the same bell a little bit. But I was like, man, this really bothers me that I could see how easily someone could manipulate this research and, and twist the findings in a way that to sell or, or prey upon anxious Yeah, parents. that's a great point because I think that, you know, the general message should actually, well, it, it, it should reduce anxiety a little bit because it's not that parenting is challenging, but the point is that, like, if your child is in a, in a safe environment and getting their needs met and, um, you know, if you make some mistakes, but you're, you know, you're generally caring for them and, and they're not in an abusive or unsafe environment, like, they're going to they're going to turn out the way they are they're coming with a lot of your genetics and yeah. or or not if 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 you adopted them or mm-hmm. whatever whoever you're raising them they're kind of coming with a lot of their own stuff to the table and you should care about your time with them and spend time with them but you don't want to exaggerate the importance such that like if you say one thing wrong or do one thing wrong or you make a mistake because honestly parents make mistakes multiple times a day absolutely and kids are pretty resilient and so you're right the thing is um the way people interpret messages you can see some parents who might be on the side of like the anxious side might be like oh no i need to do all of this stuff exactly the way that it says Mm -hmm. and of course the other thing is there are a lot of different ways to be a great parent Mm -hmm. the kids gonna have different needs the parents Mm -hmm. gonna have different strengths whereas the people who are not 
doing great stuff, like maybe their child is being exposed to things they shouldn't be exposed to, or they're mm-hmm. neglected in some way, and that that type of thing, they might take that information as no, that's cool because they're going to be fine anyway. So right. you're right. That's the tough thing about like making broad statements to appeal to different types of people and different personality typed people. So you're right. And I think that um, the market is more in making parents anxious and thinking that yes. they need to do these things to have the perfect child. That's my sense of it too. Yeah. And that really, it's just an injustice. No, I, I agree with you. I agree with you. I think, I don't know if this one was so predatory as other examples. I yeah. think they really are, but the baby Einstein, that was yeah. the, the, really the, uh, yeah. the popular thing for a yeah. while crank up the kids iq points by playing classical music that's not really how iq works it's not really how general intelligence works that's not really how classical music works yeah and it's the quick fix idea too right like we know that um having an environment that's free of pollutants isn't is important that can impact intellectual levels to a certain point having water that doesn't have lead in it for example and things like that um so classical music and Baby Einstein's videos aren't going to fix those kinds of yeah. things. And I feel like it can be a distraction from some of where things would be better yeah. placed. Or even there are kids who aren't, their intellectual needs at any end of the spectrum are not being recognized. So that's another area like doing universal screening and stuff yes. like that that's been shown to be helpful. So I agree with you. I think that the self-help industry is kind of like, should be maybe a Jedi Council episode. because. Oh, yeah. Um, it's, you're right. It's, it's tough because like on one hand you like when it's good for people to put information out to the public, but on the other hand, often is reductive and Mm -hmm. it's selling, like you said, selling a bill of goods and Mm -hmm. not delivering. And I mean, in this episode, Morty Jr. clearly has his own like nature that's not going to be impacted by Morty raising him a certain Mm -hmm. way, right? Like they're at the end, they're trying to figure out what he can do with, himself you know and how can he channel his destructive nature so i think that theme of nature nurture is kind of interesting in the weird brick and morty way i mean but for a long time in psychology we've known well it's both and depending on what the thing is one might matter more than the other but it really depends on what you're specifically looking at yes yeah absolutely and at the end, I think he becomes an author, doesn't he? Morty Jr. Yeah, if I because right, he, he writes a book. <laughs> I called my horrible fuss. Yeah. <laughs> this so, is actually very so funny. A, it is. And it's like because he meets like apparently the creator of the comic strip Marmaduke. Yes. And he's like, the the guy is like, yeah, uh, Marmaduke is actually my creative outlet where I channel all my violent sexual thoughts. You didn't really think it was about the dog, yeah. did you? And it's like, what? Yeah. I so think anyway. Jerry says, like, I never picked up that vibe from Marmaduke. <laughs> no. I didn't either. And that's that's where, like, the extreme cleverness of the show. Like, that's it's so funny. funny. Like, that's such a, they do these weird juxtapositions. And I think that ultimately that uh, they almost send the same point. Uh, Morty does everything he can and tries his yeah. best to be a, a good father. And I think he even does the classical music and, and he does all this stuff. And, and it all, the culmination of it all is <laughs> like my horrible father, then, my terrible father. Exactly. And then Beth like assures him, well, parenting is thankless and you did the best you can. Um, and so it's kind of like a nice parenting yeah. moment of like, and I, I'm, I think this does happen. There's this moment of between generations, at least. And I've seen this in my personal life and seen people do this where it's like, you see like, the grandparent, the parent, and the the child or whatever all talking about their experiences of parenting and they're kind of like 
similar themes. A lot of it usually involves the newer parent having some humility about how yeah. it is to be a parent and how you realize, like, there's a lot of stuff you, you can't control. And so I think, you know, therapy, usually when people present for parenting help, it's, it is people who need it because it's usually mm-hmm. like the um, they're referred by their teachers or something. So a yeah. lot of the time it's things like behavior problems or maybe there are learning problems and you're dealing with that. But I've also heard sometimes that it might be parents who are worried something's wrong mm-hmm. and there's not something wrong. But that's where psychologists can be helpful too mm-hmm. because they have the tools to evaluate and say, no, your kid's right where they're supposed to be. Because yep. it's hard to know. I mean, there's a lot of variability between kids and like... You can do your best and still end up with your kid writing a book called My Horrible Father. <laughs> but, like, yeah. at least they're a, a best-selling author. <laughs> right. Yeah, I mean. So you yeah. have that. You gotta take the wins where you can, I guess. <laughs> Poor Morty. I don't know. <laughs> He's just. Poor kid's just doing tough. his best. Yeah. yeah, and I don't know. Like, I think this comes up in other episodes, so maybe maybe we should just wrap up this one for today. There are obviously some gender role themes, and, like, they oh, have yeah. some, like, um, patriarchal versus matriarchal societies both have significant yeah weirdnesses in them yeah for sure um you know but i i guess i like in a small way that summer's kind of like i want to go on this adventure with you and yeah. kind of argues about why she should be able to do that Absolutely. and i think that's that's a nice part of it so yeah, for sure okay all right another episode of the uh, Existential podcast that's right we'll be back in a couple weeks with the next two episodes mm-hmm. thanks so much for hanging out and we'll See you next week.